<laughs> Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development sharing their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, thanks, Greg. Uh, today's guest is, uh, in one word, phenomenal. In my opinion, uh, Mr. Sean Taylor is our guest today. Sean Taylor, uh, for all you those who don't know who Sean Taylor is, Sean Taylor is a is the founding member of Joint Task Force Two. Um, for those who who don't know what Joint Task Force Two is, uh, you have Google like the rest of us, so go ahead and do that right now. But uh, it's great to have Sean on today. Today is the twenty second anniversary of nine eleven, and. Uh, I have a couple of questions around that with for Sean as well today, uh, given his background in the Canadian side of Joint Task Force Two or the the elite of the elite as as I'll call it. Um, but Greg obviously is is more is more uh, honed in on this stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to Greg and just can you start us off, Greg, with what you would ask? We talked about this off camera. What you would ask Sean as our first question? Absolutely. Um, Sean, first off, welcome to the Hive Nation. It's a, it's a huge honor to have you. And you know, I was telling JB on the way here, it's I'm kind of like uh, talking to a hero. Like we talked off camera. I always thought about joining the military. I never had the opportunity to do that, but uh, we got one of the best in the building. So it's an honor to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me, Fels. I got to correct. Uh, I just, just tweaked the language a little bit. I wasn't the founding member. I was a founding member. And I bet. I just part of the team. That's all. And and by that, I mean, I was just another dude doing his job along with all the other dudes that were awesome. So uh, just clear that up a little bit. Well, you're awesome. So <laughs> awesome. Um, Sean, I get, get things kicked off. It's a bit of a long question, perhaps, but uh, let's maybe start on, you know, your why and joining the military and and how that led to the point or the event that triggered that group of guys going hey we need to level up we need to create a, a different unit we need to create this elite tier one uh task force well, that's a great question and anything that i say i'm going to try to keep at my level the the level that i understand and not not kind of represent any level that i never operated it and i'm also gonna um refrain from giving away any state secrets so of course absolutely uh, and, and i think that uh, comes already pre-understood so uh what i will say is uh why did i want to join the military i don't know but uh when i was five apparently my mom said that i wanted to join the army and i was always talking about being a soldier and i just never stopped talking about that i just that's who i felt i was and so um you know uh, i had the opportunity to join the army cadets when i was a kid i i really liked loved on that and then uh, when it came time to join the military i knew that i was going to be an infantryman i already had my uh my target set on generally where i thought my career could take me but along the way uh, as it turns out uh i didn't know enough about the army i didn't know too much at all actually and uh what i did do was just try my best do my best uh, in everything that was put in front of me and i wouldn't go so far as to say that uh i was uh, the best person for the job but uh, I sure did try hard, and I, uh, I, I along the way, uh, I did all right. I'm not sure if it's always about being the best person for the job, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I don't think it is. Uh, I think that there's lots of uh, best people for the job out there. Uh, but one of the uh, um, maybe one of the character traits that I have that I uh, always think of is maybe my strongest character trait is just I'm stubborn. I'm freaking stubborn, man. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm I'll out stubborn anyone. That's the way I think. Oh, I don't know uh, about that. I'm I'm Hungarian, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do it. You'll lose. um, I just, I'm very, I'm very um, focused is maybe another word to put it. And there's many ways, there's many ways I could frame it so that, you know, it would make sense to a number of different people out there. But in my mind, I've always thought of myself as I'm just real stubborn. Uh, Once I decide I'm going to do something, I consider it done. And uh, you've got to have a, you've got to have some of that in you, whatever that trade is. Uh, you can call it grit or uh, stubbornness or etc. But you've got to have some of that. And by some, I mean a lot, uh, mm-hmm. because being the best ain't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be the best in a lot of things, but not be stubborn enough. Uh, and I would say that stubbornness will make up for uh, lack of being the best. So I'd take someone who's got way more grit in them and a little bit less best in them because through the process uh, either they will or I will make them better than they would have been just showing up best well said yeah you talked a lot about the mindset side of the military and I think it's a lot of you know a lot of people I think are acutely aware of it you can't just you know you can't just coast your way through any of that and you know you're wearing the hoodie pathfinder and you talked about off camera, we talked about, you know, that course. And in that journey in going through these hard designations and like the the peak of, you know, Canadian military, what does it truly take? And what are the biggest takeaways of those courses? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think that, uh, first of all, I should establish, and this is for everyone out there who's going to listen to this. I mean, like, whether you're a coach or whether you want to be coach, whether you're a mentor or you can't spell mentor, it's for everyone. Uh, and so when I was in high school, I thought I was uh, a skinny underperforming kid. I sure was skinny. I was like 135 pounds. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of meat on my bones. And now I'm about 163. At the peak of my military career, I was about 175. And so from 135 pounds and kind of like a bit of a weakling, I would say, and uh, all through high school, uh, I kind of thought I was dumb. I didn't do very well on tests. School bored me. Teachers bored me. I'd rather be hunting and fishing. I'd skip class rather than go to class. I mean, that's just the way I was. I'd, school bored me. And so I barely scraped through high school. I barely graduated. And I'm into the military. And in the military, when I signed up, I thought, I'm a skinny, underperforming kid. Now, here's the fun part. What the military did for me was put the challenges in front of me that I needed that I wasn't getting up until it showed up in front of me called now you're in the infantry son. And I freaking loved it because the challenges were something that I understood. They were about kicking ass and taking names. They were about being really disciplined and being really focused, being really driven. And that made sense to me, but I'd never, no one had ever explained it to me before. No one had ever put what I needed in front of me in front of me. And then the, the moment I started seeing that and feeling that, I wanted more of it, of course. So I started pursuing harder and harder things. What's the hardest thing I can do? I'm in. What's the next hardest thing? I want that. So in, in special operations, it's called the relentless pursuit of excellence. 
Well, I had that from a very early portion of my career. And so that was in a career that at that time, special operations didn't exist in Canada. And in fact, uh, to that point, uh, the peak of kind of specialness within the regular army before Joint Task Force 2 was created was this being a pathfinder or being an army sniper, which I also am. Uh, and so like the, the hard courses I had, military free fall, parachutist, unarmed combat instructor, whatever was hard, I was in pursuit of. If you could make it harder, then make it harder now. And I want a piece of that. That's just the way I was because that's how I got to understand myself. That's how I got to explore my potential. I was looking to bounce off the edges of my experience, what I could and couldn't do. And so the military put all of this challenge in front of me to voraciously assault or uh, a voracious appetite of just soaking it all in. And so um, it was it was the army that taught me that I wasn't a skinny underperforming kid. It just taught me that everyone is coachable. Everyone can be a high performer. It's about putting the right puzzle solution in front of that unique person in front of you. And once I started understanding that, like the mindset of how to uh, not, I wouldn't categorize it at that time as to be successful. The mindset that I was trying to develop within myself was how to dominate the problem in front of me, how to smash the thing that someone was putting in front of me, how to, how to obliterate it. I wanted to dominate the challenges in front of me to a degree where I felt like I owned it. And I know that all sounds weird, but that's the language that I used in my head at the time. Now you could reframe that in modern kind of corporate world. And you would say, uh, I was pursuing solutions for successful outcomes through a visualized trajectory. I mean, you can, you can use all kinds of different language in order to say the same thing. The army taught me how to do things well. And once I started doing things well, I really liked it. It's intriguing. It's mm -hmm. it's it's got a certain pull to it. And man, once you're in that tractor beam, freaking bring it on, because uh, then you get it. You get you get exposed to things that you couldn't imagine. And uh, once you're in that mix, the fun part about that is you're not just by yourself. You're with a bunch of other super freaks mm -hmm. who are freakier than you are. And I mean, <laughs> I love being in a room full of characters who I look up to and think, how is that even possible? Uh, and so that's what has always drawn the best out of me is a freaking hard challenge and being surrounded by people who make me think that I'm the underperformer in the room. So was there that certain event that happened? I'll use event in, in quotation marks here that that happened that you said we have to build this joint task force to like tomorrow in order for us to succeed well joint task force two was a, a military organization that uh, got put together at a much higher level than me i was just one of the guys who signed signed on that secret dotted line to become part of it and here's how it worked a memo went out across the entire Canadian Armed Forces, and uh, the the, men, the memo generally paraphrased was this: We can't tell you what you're going to do. We can't tell you where we're going to where you're going to go. We can't tell you how long it's going to be. If you're interested, sign here. And so that was generally it. And you know there was it was inferred that it was going to be dangerous and blah blah blah, highly challenging, etc. 
but we didn't even know it as a word. It didn't have a name at the time. It was just this memo that said, if you think you got the parts, bring it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I signed <laughs> that was so your challenge bad. right there. Yeah. I mean, come on. And so um, there was myself. And at the time I was a, a young sergeant. And uh, some of How my- How old were you at that time, Sean? Uh, I was, I got badged when I was 29. Okay. So uh, I think that memo might've come out, but you know, whenever I was 28 or whatever the case is. And so um, it, it, of course it really spoke to me that kind of a challenge, but it also spoke to a lot of my buddies that I was working alongside of. And a lot of uh, guys across Canada uh, that just had the same mindset from a bunch of different trades. And, you know, of course, if you're, if you're a former member of the Canadian Airborne Regiment, or if you're a, a member of the infantry like the PPCLI or the RCR or the Vandu, of course, your odds um, to succeed in that uh, pipeline are elevated uh, versus someone who is uh, counting beans in the corner. You know, they're they're not in the hard charging game, and so your your odds are elevated in these kind of uh, careers. But that that doesn't speak about the man because it's the man that they're interested in, not the skills that they bring per se, because uh, the biggest skill that they're looking for is the one between the ears, that mindset. And so, you know, you can, you can have, again, you can have the best person or the, the room full of best in front of you. And that doesn't mean they have enough stubbornness. And so mindset goes a long way in that game. Uh, so it, it drew it drew the best men in in the military at that time into the formation of the initial team uh, that was about to take over uh, the role from the RCMP Special Emergency Response Team in 1993. Very very cool. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this, and you could just tell me to shut the hell up. I've been I've been told worse. Uh, so today's the 22nd anniversary of 9/11. And obviously, we all know the tragic events that happened in New York City on September 11, 2001. So what part of Joint Task Force 2 was their role in, uh, you know, fighting that war to bring down Osama bin Laden? Well, you know, I, I just can't speak to it uh, because uh, I can't. All I can say is on an overarching level, uh, they were active. And integral to elements of the various phases of the war. And so I think it's public source information, it's open source information that JTF2 uh, was engaged in that process. So they were highly effective. They were commended by allied organizations for their um, high levels of professionalism. Uh, I would say loosely, and I don't want to misquote uh, anyone out there, but I've heard references to the effect that. Uh, when other allied uh, organizations were looking for partner uh, units to partner up with, Joint Task Force 2 was one of the first to be reached for. So, I mean, uh, Canada's uh, special operations units, which includes um, JTF-2 and CSOR, uh, these two units are highly, as, as is all the special operations subunits within Canada, are highly regarded. You know, I, I don't want to, the reason I'm kind of stressing this is I don't want to overlook the fact that it's kind of general sort of misunderstood information out there that because we're a small country, we're not that effective. 
well, we are we're in we're a small country in the sense of um the number of men that we put on the playing field in a battle space as compared to some large countries like the United States and the manpower that they bring to bear, the resources that they bring to bear. But man for man, in a special unit like uh, JTF2 or CSOR, et cetera, these are force multipliers. That one man is the equivalent of a lot of men. And so uh, these special operations within Canada is highly regarded internationally. And uh, I think the Canadians, if they understood the... Uh, abilities and the accomplishments that um, special operations as Canadians have um, have uh, created as a body of work. Uh, Canadians would be really proud and and be uh, impressed with what Canada brings to bear. Well, maybe we need to have a movie around uh, JTF too. Well, I don't think they would appreciate that because here's the deal: the it's kind of the the quote is like silent professionals, and so. Uh, you know, here in Canada, uh, I think that generally speaking, uh, there's not too many uh, um, tier one uh, operators that talk openly about tier one, uh, or even talk about JTF2. In fact, I'd be one of uh, the few, I think. And the only reason I do it is just to make the public uh, generally aware that, as I just said, special operations in Canada is is an amazing uh, uh, resource that Canada is unaware of. And uh, and I never speak out more than I should in regards to operational security or anything that even if I was if I had to scratch my head and think, can I say that? I know I'm not going to say that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, Sean, yeah. I'm uh, sorry, David. Sorry, I was just going to say, Sean, if you wouldn't mind just uh, inserting the USB stick then uh, into here, and you can just download that and send it to me. I promise. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's a funny thing. So uh, I've kind of joked about it a little bit. Uh, I was out on a mountain bike ride. Uh, I was doing a live, or not a live, I was, I was recording a mountain bike ride here in uh, Rosland. And I was just chirping away. I had my little, uh, my Rode Wireless Go uh, 2 uh, mounted on my helmet. And I was just chirping as I was riding. And I was talking about, you know, it's really weird. Uh, like a year ago, no one knew what was going on in my head. I let nobody in in my head. Y'all never got to hear any of my thoughts. I just didn't put them out there. I just didn't. They're Mm -hmm. my thoughts. They're my considerations. They're my, we'll call it minor wisdoms that I was keeping to myself because I just didn't want to talk to the world. Didn't Mm -hmm. think I had anything to say, didn't see the point in all of it and et cetera. But now like podcasting and I've done just this year alone, I think I'm at about 515 podcasts. Like that's your USB stick, pal. (laughs) That's, <laughs> it, it's a bit old school, but that's the USB stick that didn't exist like a year ago. I mean, nobody was, uh, I didn't talk to people like this. I just didn't let people into a world that I existed in, in the past or in my current world now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Sean, you, you mentioned it, uh, the silent professional. Um, it's something that I think about quite a lot. And I think a lot of people like really appreciate that statement, but they don't truly understand it, especially in today's world. You know, we have these phones, everybody's on Instagram, you know, we have these podcasts and the information is out there and, and it, people just have this, like they're pushed to show more and do more and be flashier and go about your wins. But like, 
was it always a core value of that group of guys and and just the in the that group in the military of hey let's let's do what we need to do let's get out we don't need the accolades we know what we're doing we know why we're doing it is that something that you've always had and taken into everything you do yeah it is i mean that's that's what i was taught and that's how i understand it should work uh and so what i get taught is what i do and uh, particularly if i know that it works and so um you know you just kind of stay quiet and and how quiet i don't know like if if you knew me on social media sometimes i'm a complete idiot i screw things up on social media on a pretty regular basis i'm not that good at it but i'm better than i was a year ago and so a year ago i didn't know what i could say i didn't know what to talk about but I just tried to figure it out along the way. Luckily, I've got a bunch of good friends who kind of, you know, calibrate me to some degree. And, and uh, you know, some of them are always encouraging me to talk more openly about certain things. And I've nobody's really said, hey, you can't talk about that anymore. Uh, usually it's more, you know, encouraging to open up a little bit more. And so to your point, like just a couple of years ago, I didn't own this. Uh, I, I didn't wear this. Um, I just got it a couple of years ago. I didn't, I didn't have a hat like this, uh, that is a military free fall parachutist hat. I just didn't wear those kind of things. I was pretty gray. You know, I talk about it a tiny bit with some people sometimes, but I just, it wasn't, I didn't put it out there. And so, uh, once people, my buddies were saying, dude, you know, like you've been off the grid too long or where have you been, or can you get back in the game or et cetera, et cetera. I said, okay, sure. And so, you know, I started wearing this stuff. And then once I started wearing it, like my buddies were saying, you know, that's righteous. That's what you should have been doing for a while. It's like, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. And so I kind of like buried it a bit too much. You know, I got it off the radar a bit too much. Now that I'm wearing it, uh, I'm trying to represent to some degree. Uh, but uh, just I feel more comfortable wearing it now. Uh, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't feel comfortable wearing it because I didn't want to be that dude. But, you know, now I'm okay with it, I suppose. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who, who wouldn't be like you, Sean, and they'd be like, I'm the kick-ass guy, and they would wear that stuff all over the place and and brag about how how great they are. But maybe within JTF2 or what, you, what you've, you know, kind of gone through or what you guys, how your training is, maybe that's not a thing, right? Maybe it's not about an ego thing. Well, you know what it is for me, and I think it probably is for all, anybody who's kind of worked towards that level, uh, is uh, you've just had your ass kicked too much. Like for me to wear a t-shirt that says I'm the kick-ass guy, that uh, means that that day I'm probably going to get my ass kicked by a guy <laughs> who doesn't wear a t-shirt like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like just around every corner, there's someone who's better at something than you are. Yeah. Uh, and so you can think that you're the biggest ass kicker in the world, but you ain't. You yeah. just haven't had your ass kicked enough to understand that. Yeah. I... I want to ask you this, and and it's you know part of the reason we're able to talk to you. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's a trainer at Rise Strength Lab here in Saskatoon, Andreas. He's actually going through uh, sniper selection right now, and uh, me and him have some great conversations. But uh, you know, I asked him. I'm going to ask you the same question with the recent, and I'm going to get this wrong, but when uh, SF guys and Joint Task Force Two and C Sawyer members veterans in canada were able to start you know more openly talking about you know certain aspects of it did that increase the level of mentorship to this new generation of 
of young men and women entering it like did it open up like more possibility to kind of help out and and give that mentorship side in the military or was it always there kind of just not in the open that's a great question and i hope i've got the right answer for you but you know only time will tell so I'm, i'll i'll give it to you so um look i i didn't <laughs> i didn't flare out on social media i didn't like chirp about what i used to do and all of that good stuff but I got a friend, he's called, his name is Seb Lavoie. And uh, in fact, he was on our podcast today, mm -hmm. uh, along with, uh, well, anyway, our guest panel. And uh, I got a lot of respect for Seb. Hey, he's uh, uh, retired from the RCMP as a sergeant major of the BC uh, division and uh, a longtime um, tactical officer on the uh, uh, lower mainland uh, ERT. And uh, just a large and in charge guy, one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, so Seb and I have been uh, side by side for a couple of years. And uh, he was he he chirped at me on a pretty regular basis about, dude, you gotta like, you you gotta own the things that you've done. Like, I just found out that you're a world champion in 24 hour solo mountain bike racing. You're telling me now? Like, how come nobody knows that? I guess I should mention it to people. Yeah. Yeah. You freaking shouldn't like you don't <laughs> He'd be jacking me up for not talking enough and not like owning what I've accomplished. And it just like, I didn't like it, man. It felt super uncomfortable to me. It's just like, I don't, I don't like pats on the back. What I do like is getting my ass kicked. I do like someone poking me in the chest and telling me how I failed. I don't like someone patting me on the back and tell me how I did it. Well, I just don't have time for that. Tell me how I did it wrong and we're good. And so uh, I don't like, uh, like I've def I'm definitely a confident guy and sometimes my ego has got me in trouble, but it's not because uh, I'm flaring out. It's because I have a strong belief in myself. Mm -hmm. I've got a strong belief in the things that I do based on my track record, but that doesn't mean like when I'm talking confidently that I'm, I'm being braggadocious. I'm just confident. Uh, but then when you're confident, but you're not saying, like, yeah, I was a world champion in 24-hour solo mountain bike racing. That doesn't help people out there understand that they don't need to send me bike tips on how to ride a bike. They see me riding a bike, but they, I'd never talk about being a world champion. So they want to, you know, give me tips on how to ride a bike. I don't need this. <laughs> so, you know, I guess I got to start talking about some of these things. And so I started like kind of laying claim to the titles that I've got and the various careers that I've done. And, uh, and so people started asking me questions and I kind of established not a persona, but a kind of an avatar of what I've accomplished in my life. And then, uh, you know, talking about these things more and more transparently on uh, the collective podcast every day, like now I'm, I personally, I'm trying to normalize that it's okay to talk about the things that you've failed in and the things that you've been successful in and demonstrate how three-dimensional you are as a person so that more, um, more fulfilling conversations can occur, deeper conversations, not the weather, but freaking, you know, let's go 27 layers deep in this conversation and see how that two-way highway uh, conversation can make both of us richer. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people in my life, and I don't need the same conversation for the rest of my life. I'm looking to combine all of their wisdom into new wisdoms with each new person that I talk to, you know? With the confidentiality that that you discussed, how does that, how, how do you, 
for all intents purposes, how do you zip your lip? How, how do you how do you how do you shut the hell up and just keep? And and is it is it really healthy to to keep it inside? You know what I mean? Like is it is it is it better for you now to talk about it? Like you said, like you you started opening up now recently. Is it better for you now? Do you feel better as a person now? Well, I don't personally. I don't feel better in the sense of that was very liberating. I feel much lighter now. It's not <laughs> uh, what it. What I do feel better about is just talking enough, not too much. Just talking enough about certain things that it encourages, like your buddy who's who's possibly be going to uh, sniper quals or what have you. Like, I mean. I'm not going to say how many times per week I get contacted by young guys, typically, who say, dude, I listened to you in the Canadian podcast about a year ago, and uh, you were so inspiring. You you encouraged me to go into basic training. I finished basic training. Now I'm a private in 3PP CLI, and here's my next move thanks to you. Bam. Like, come on. How can I not like that? Mm -hmm. It's not that I like the fact that I've influenced someone. What I do like is the fact that that young man is going to be influencing someone else a generation from now. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to think deeper than just my tiny little ripple that I've got. That that young fella's ripple is enough ripple for me in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that was a big reach out for him, right? That was a big that was a yeah, big for, sure. for him for him to look up to you, right? So you know, yeah, for sure. it is, like you said, it's a ripple. It's it's definitely a ripple effect. Uh, and also shout out to Zach from the Canadian podcast. So, Thanks for that, Sean. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, you know, I was just on the, the second podcast with him just, I guess, uh, about yeah. a week or so ago. Uh, both parties were good. I mean, like a year ago, I didn't have a freaking clue. I mean, I had zero idea about podcasting. So that was my best effort. And then a week ago, I'm a little bit better at it. And that was my best effort. A year from now, it'll be my best effort. And mm -hmm. I think that's the game of life, man, is like, whatever you're going to engage in, freaking own it. Yeah. I set 10-year projects for myself. I've just banged out a year. I got another nine in front of me. Let's freaking ride this freight train right off the uh, train track. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shout out to the collective podcast as well. Yeah, thanks, buddy. And I think that's the the one thing that stuck with me. I mean, I everything we've talked about here stuck with me, but it's that transfer of knowledge, right? Like, you, you said what really excited you about that young man reaching out to you is not the impact you had on him, but the impact he'll have on everybody else that he interacts with. And that is one of the big reasons why, you know, JB and me do what we do. You know, we can only help so many people, the two of us, but how do we make this room and how can we enable other people to do that? Well, now this person has impacted this person and there's this chain, chain reaction of positive growth and development and just, getting in a room and trying, you know, my goal is to always be the dumbest guy in the room. And I think I've done that. I'm in a pretty smart room right now. So, <laughs> sure. but that's just the thing, you know, giving these, these opportunities we have to talk and share knowledge. You're in BC right now. We're in Saskatchewan and, you know, we're having this conversation. So just that transfer of knowledge, I think it's the coolest thing. That, that, I, I, I'm going to challenge you with something here, pal, and, and this will uh, twist your little peanut. And so you're actually the smartest guy in the room right now. Any idea why? Why is that, Sean? Because you're in the game much earlier than we were. You got in this game early. You're you're at a point in the game that I never got to understand. Like when I was your age, you know, the guys that I was getting information from 
were the guys that were my age mm -hmm. who didn't have the deep wisdom that I needed at the time. I've had to develop my wisdom by, by hunting it. You're in it. Like you put yourself in a position that I wish I could have put myself in a position of when I was your age. That's fact. You know, the, my dad, my did my dad passed like almost a square root of zero onto me. I mean, there just wasn't that kind of knowledge around me at that time. I learned my freaking wisdom the hard way. And I'm not saying that's the best way, but that's how I learned. But I wish I was in your shoes because I'm looking at you as the smartest guy in the room right now. I, I appreciate that, Sean. And you know, that's something I, I try to really remind myself, not the smartest guy in the room part, but the, the space I've put myself in, you know, I've had a lot of good, you know, uh, figures in my life around me. I'm really grateful for that. And you know, I, I got to give a big shout out to Jason here. You know, Jason's given me this opportunity. I said something to him a while back. I said, you know, when I'm like 40, I'll be able to say I've been a coach for, you know, like 25 years. Like, so before I'm 50, I, I'll have almost 50 years of coaching. Like that's, that's something that I, I'm so grateful for, like to have that ability. And then and, and to think like, the ripple and the impact that we can help people make in doing that. So yeah, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, I can't be more grateful for the, the places and the people in my life that have gotten me here. Yeah. Well, the, your future is what's the, uh, that's, that's the fortunate part, the, the future that you don't know about right now. Cause, uh, like I'm, I'm 60 this year and, uh, I've probably been coaching for 40 years. And, uh, and some of that coaching, uh, periods, certainly when I was high performance race coaching, like I, I I've analyzed over a hundred thousand data files of the, the athletes that I've worked with around the world. I mean, I've been, I've coached and if you coach long enough, eventually you become a pretty freaking great coach. And there's a difference between a good coach and a great coach. Great coaching takes time. You, it doesn't matter how many courses you do. If you you can't cram greatness into uh, a, a condensed period of time, greatness requires time, a lot of it. It requires experience, a lot of it. It requires wisdom, a lot of it. It requires an immeasurable amount of failures. And you're, I mean, the things that you can learn in 40 years of coaching, it it'll set you apart from everyone around you as a coach, but more importantly, anyone who gets involved with you is going to be freaking lucky that they bumped into you. So, you know, just keep on pursuing, man. Appreciate that, brother. Love it. Um, I, I always said to Greg that if I had a sales coach when I was 25, I wouldn't be his sales coach. So that's true to that. <laughs> And, that, and that's and that's you know one of the reasons why I say you know I'm I'm grateful for it because you know a bunch of different like there's there was only one elk only one pathway and and combination of outcomes that led me to be you know sitting in this room and I, I hit the jackpot and betted on black twenty two or something and, and I hit it so you know we're here today for that um, yeah you, yeah you did but you know what everyone else can and here's why exactly. because you know the the opportunities show up all the time. It's, it's whether you see them or not. It's whether you have an open mind enough or not. It's whether you've got your eyes clearly open and looking for the opportunities or not. And I'm not saying that you've got to spend your whole day every day hunting for opportunities. What I am saying 
is be really clear that you're open to opportunities. And for me, that means like, if I bump into someone and within 10 seconds, I get a good vibe from them, then I'm starting to focus on the vibe. I'm trying to figure out what's up here, what is going on. And within about 30 seconds, I know what's up. And I know whether I'm going to do anything with them in the future or not. That's just the way I've run my life. Mm -hmm. And so when you get that feeling, that that simple feeling of, ah, this there's something interesting about this, pursue it. That's what I'm talking about, being open to opportunities. When something just feels like, ah, oh, there's something here, don't stop there. Go a little further and see where it goes, where it leads you. And if you are open to opportunities like that, now all of a sudden opportunities are all around you. And just like you in this room right now, kind of in early in your career with opportunities in front of you, uh, your head will be swimming in 10 years with opportunities if you just keep allowing them to unfold in front of you. But you gotta, you gotta have the right conviction. You gotta have the right mentality. You gotta have the right focus. You gotta understand your why. If you don't know your why, you'll never get any further ahead. Wow, that's a powerful way to, I think, I wrap this up maybe. But the 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 lonely last question I would ask for you uh, for you, uh, Sean, is before we go, is if there was somebody listening to this that you would give them a uh, a piece of advice from your past that you've always taken to heart and always taken aside from the stubbornness and you know that that type of thing but what what's one thing that you would say to somebody listening to this that would say that would they would take away and be like i'm going to do that i'm going to implement that in my life today become an adventurer adventure in life it's as simple as that Love you it. can you can you can put yourself as as a hobbit in the shar going out to adventure or you can consider yourself whatever avatar you want to be but you've got to start thinking like an adventurer it's a fantastic answer sean thank you very much sean we could chat with you for hours and hours and i'm sure this is not the last time we will be chatting on podcasts for everybody here at door the last time at all um but so sean, the next time you have like a data dump that you need from the from the old cranium <laughs> just give the hive nation a little yeah. dingle and uh we'll we'll gladly take care of that for you all right hey, so uh, listen i'd i'd be more than happy to be on uh, with you guys again and here's why because it was a lot of fun like when you're when you're having an authentic conversation that's fun it ain't work so <laughs> so entertaining conversations, engaging conversations, conversations with cool people to me are easy to do. So I'm happy oh, to be cool. back on any time. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean, before, before we officially wrap, wrap this up uh, for the hive nation, for the listeners, where can, uh, where can the folks find you uh, out on the, on the webs? Yeah, I only truly exist in two locations where I'm active. One is on YouTube, and it's on a podcast called The Collective. And the other location is on Instagram. I got a goofy little Instagram page where I, every morning, I grab my coffee mug and say, good morning, everyone, see where that goes, and maybe talk about some things, maybe throw up some back-in-the-day photos. Nice. Awesome. We did see some of your back-in-the-day photos, and they're kick-ass. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks. Don't point anyone towards my goofy little IG account, because I I think it's goofy, and I don't even think it should be out in the world. <laughs> <laughs> my but, imposter syndrome flaring up right now, yeah. boys. See, hey. I think it's awesome. So. Yeah. 
There, there's the difference between oh, you and I. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to take the pat on the back. Just tell me how I'm doing it wrong and we'll move right through it. <laughs> it's, it's something we talk about all the time. It's like, you can't take yourself so seriously. Like, I, I try to remind myself too. Cause like when I started putting out content and I was like, Oh, it's gotta be perfect. I would film like a video, like 30, 40 times. Like my, I showed JB the original ones and he's like, Dude, they're all good. Why are, <laughs> why are you doing this to yourself? And I'm like beating my like punishing myself. Hard, like, you're, you're, you're terrible. And then yeah, like, now I've gone to the point where I'm like, screw it. I stumbled 17 words. I I whatever. And those are the ones most of the time people reach out to me like, oh man, I needed to hear that today. It's like <laughs> God, it's so much easier than I thought, but I'm always gonna beat myself up. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I feel it. I feel it. But you know what? Uh I I think what that does demonstrate, and and I'm not speaking just for myself, I'm I'm speaking for you. Uh it, it just shows conviction. Uh, I mean, I feel it. I, I find it really uncomfortable to do what I do every day on social media, but I know it's for the right reason. So I have the conviction because of that why, and I will continue to execute no matter how uncomfortable it feels me. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not really uncomfortable doing it, but I'm in the game, baby. And it's going to happen, you know? Excellent, Sean. Thanks a lot again, man. I really appreciate you being on the Hive Nation podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. Hive Nation, we're out.